Part six of two essays on military history, strategy, and tactics, Mountain Warfare nineteen oh nine and Naval Strategy nineteen seventeen by various. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part six Chapter three Sweeping the Enemy from the Oceans Far flung the fleet then, freeing the seas, clearing the way for men, merchant men these sinking or flying broken their power the enemy dying left england her dower j l in the foregoing chapter some reference was made to the campaign of the german raiding cruisers and armed liners against british and allied commerce in the distant waters of the atlantic and pacific during the early months of hostilities and before we go any further this aspect of the war must be discussed one object of the enemy was to lead to a scattering of British naval strength, but in this he was wholly disappointed. The distribution of the British fleet remained unchanged, and the great numbers of swift cruisers and armed liners, which had been apprehended as presenting a formidable menace to commerce, made but a feeble appearance. The commerce raiding campaign gave rise, however, to a good deal of alarm at the time, though it surprised no one who understood the means made available by the scientific and mechanical developments of modern naval warfare, and who had studied them in the light of history. The interruption or destruction of the enemy's commerce has always been one of the objects in naval warfare. British floating commerce offered a very large target, and the swift German cruisers directed by wireless telegraphy and supplied by friendly neutrals were at work on the lines followed by shipping, making it inevitable that there should at first be considerable losses to the Allies. Admiral Mahon thought that the British total losses in the long wars of the French Revolution and Empire did not exceed two and a half percent of the commerce of the Empire. The Royal Commission on the Supply of Food in Time of War expressed the opinion that four percent would have been a more accurate estimate. German cruisers, destructive as a few of them were, did not inflict losses amounting to anything like the figures of the old wars. In those contests of power, notwithstanding the depredations of commerce-destroying frigates, British overseas trade grew, while that of the enemy withered away. If the enemy captured ten British ships out of a thousand, the loss might be considered serious, but if the British frigates captured ten out of the enemy's hundred, the injury inflicted was ten times more effective. Towards the end of the long war with France, very few French traders were captured, because scarcely any ventured to sea, while the French continued to capture English ships up to the very end of the war, ten years after their fleet had been destroyed at Trafalgar. The loss by capture and sinking was at the rate of 500 ships a year, and even in 1810, 619 English ships were lost. In the present war, the German commerce-destroying campaign, by means of cruisers and armed liners, though very effective at the beginning, collapsed with great rapidity. 
hostile action against trade has never before been so rapidly brought under control steam the telegraph and wireless have enormously increased as compared with the sailing days the thoroughness and efficiency of superior sea power difficulty of providing for coal and oil supply the want of naval repairing and docking bases and above all the immense superiority brought quickly to bear by the combined naval forces of england france and japan aided by the australian navy auxiliary to the british to which it belonged within a comparatively short time caused the whole of german commerce to disappear from the oceans soon not a single ship remained trader cruiser or armed liner as a target except that such isolated raiders as the murray might offer rare opportunities of attack this failure of the germans seemed the more remarkable because they had long recognized the floating commerce of england to be her achilles heel prince bulow described it as such they had expressly reserved at the hague conference the right to convert merchantmen into cruisers on the high seas to serve as commerce destroyers they used this right in some instances as in that of the cap trafalgar which was sunk in single ship action by the british converted liner carmania yet this procedure proved of no effect in the war it would be a great mistake to regard the german cruiser campaign against commerce apart from the general distribution of german warships and the means taken to supply them with their requirements the writer is inclined to the belief that the impotence of the germans in distant waters shows that their navy was not ready nor effectively prepared for the war the great expenditure on the high sea fleet proved unavailing the submarine boats did not exist in any considerable number only about twenty-seven or twenty-eight of them were completed in august nineteen fourteen of which about a dozen were of early experimental type fit only for local use and the program provided only for the building of half a dozen in each year the german navy possessed not more than a couple of big airships and a few effective aeroplanes the cruisers on foreign service were scattered about the world without plan the battle cruiser gerben and the light cruiser breslau had been detached in the mediterranean during the balkan war and according to the greek white book turkey having entered into alliance with germany on august fourth the two cruisers fled to the dardanelles in conformity with orders received from berlin the germans were apprehensive as to their safety and their naval authorities never intended to leave them in their dangerous situation of isolation in an italian port the business of controlling and directing the operations of the commerce-destroying cruisers and armed liners and providing their supplies was admittedly dexterously arranged by the agency of wireless mainly through the means placed at disposal by german sympathizers in the united states the states of southern america and other neutral countries though nothing they did could withstand the steady pressure of sea power the most considerable german force in distant waters was the east asian squadron under command of admiral count von spee it was located at kao chow and its principal elements were the armored cruisers scharnhorst and neisnau 
sooner or later this squadron was bound to be defeated as its commanding officer fully realized the japanese declared war on august twenty third and the fleets of admiral baron dua and admiral kato were stretched out to blockade and intercept him but he extricated himself very dexterously crossed the pacific defeated admiral sir christopher craddock off coronel on november first rounded cape horn and was himself defeated with the loss of his whole squadron in the battle of the falkland isles on december eighth one of his cruisers the emden which had escaped the japanese made a great noise in the world her captain was a very capable and also a very gallant officer who bombarded oil tanks at madras sank the russian cruiser jemtug and the french destroyer mosquet at penang and sent to the bottom seventeen british vessels representing a value of two million two hundred and eleven thousand pounds besides three sent into port the emden was destroyed by his majesty's australian cruiser sydney at the cocos keeling islands on november eighth the Karlsruhe sank vessels representing a value of one million six hundred and sixty two thousand pounds it is not the purpose here to describe the depredations and ocean wanderings of the other german cruisers or auxiliary cruisers the object is to show how by the all-compassing pressure of naval power they were successively destroyed it would be folly to deny that there was something defective in the disposition of the british naval forces at the beginning admiral von spee was at large with two powerful armoured cruisers but sir christopher craddock was left in inferior force off the coast of chile the obsolescent battleship canopus which had inferior speed was to join him but did not reach him in time the australian battlecruiser australia which would have been an extremely valuable aid to craddock's squadron did not pursue the german squadron across the pacific admiral of the fleet lord fisher returned to the admiralty as first sea lord on october twenty ninth nineteen fourteen and at once set about to use the naval instrument he had been so largely instrumental in creating in dead secrecy and with incredible speed a force was prepared and dispatched admiral sturdy had with him the magnificent battle-cruisers invincible and inflexible the armoured cruisers kent cornwall and carnarvon the light cruisers bristol and glasgow and the armed liner macedonia the battleship canopus was already at port stanley before anyone knew he had left england he arrived at the falkland islands on december seventh after having steamed a distance of seven thousand miles the german admiral was known to be approaching with the object of utilizing the islands as a base he arrived on the next day but was taken by complete surprise though he was conscious of impending fate and his squadron ceased to exist this was one of the master strokes of the war made with lightning rapidity strategy was seen in action and thenceforward the control of the ocean was secured there remained the business of rounding up the enemy cruisers which were still preying upon shipping on the routes of commerce 
Cruisers of sufficient force were dispatched with instructions to remain at certain rendezvous, each forming a base upon which lighter cruisers could fall back or to the support of which they could proceed. The lighter vessels cruised on specified curves or lines of search, and in this way a network was spread over the oceans comparable to a spider's web. Thus, in due course, every enemy cruiser and auxiliary was intercepted, or, conscious of the toils which were spread for her, abandoned her task and sought safety in the interment of a neutral port. The Grand Fleet in the North Sea was the master of the situation, and made possible the decisive blow which was struck at enemy power in the oceans. Thenceforward, the enemy was impotent in every sea, not a man could he send afloat to bring aid to his colonies and protectorates. His distant possessions collapsed like a house built of cards. No means had he to interrupt the transport of troops which have brought about the darkening of every German place in the sun. Deutschland ist weltreich geworden, it was said, but distant possessions are the ripe fruit which falls into the lap of the ultimate sea power, and the Weltreich exists no more. By means of sea power it has been destroyed. The submarine is an effective weapon within its sphere, but no victory has ever been won by evasion, and no sea power can be exercised by stealthy craft which hide beneath the surface of the sea. End of Part 6